0: Right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little
1: bit of a lull right now. F*** that! You don't got time for that
2: all right? Let's go! Crank it! Crank it, Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and Listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
0: Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. The Kansas Jayhawks 3-0 on the basketball court 69 to 64 victory over the Duke Blue Devils last night. We will spend plenty of time throughout the show discussing that. We're also going to be joined by Jamie Bermel, the KU men's golf head coach at 425, and we're going to be joined by Anthony Debundo who uh, has been really previewing the World Cup with the Action Network and it'll get you ready for the World Cup that starts this weekend. We have audio to get to you throughout the show from Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, Norm Roberts, Andy Konolnicki, Brian Borland. It's a fun show today here on RCST. NFL Sundays are only getting better, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. You can get Kansas plus 9 against Texas right now, plus 270 on the money line. Nick, I love doing this with you every week. What okay. do you think the team total for points is for Kansas?
1: 27 and
0: a half. Oh, you were so close. 26 and a oh, half. Man. is the over under. That's but good. Cuz last week I was like 9 points off. Yeah, but the under the under is 20 is plus 100 and the over is minus 130. So they think they're going to be over minus okay. or over 26 and a half. Texas for them
1: it's 36 and a half. Yeesh. You can also get first team to score. That's crazy, because Texas scored 10 points and couldn't do anything on offense Mm -hmm. against TCU last week.
0: You can get the first team to score. You can get Kansas at plus 120. Just hope they get the coin toss, get the ball, go down field, get the points.
1: Is it first to score or first to score a touchdown?
0: It's just first to score, so I think anything works. But honestly, with the field goal kicking game, it probably needs to be a touchdown (laughs) for Kansas. Uh, You can get them in the first half plus 5.5, and you can get them in the first quarter plus three, which the over-under in the first quarter is 14 points. I think that might be a good that's, bet that's take the over. High. Oh, you think the over? I think the over because if you just – You're going to score a lot early? I mean, think about it. Kansas gives up like an opening
1: drive touchdown to the opponent, I feel like, every game. I actually looked it up. They've only given up an opening drive touchdown in the Big 12 Okay, twice.
0: Really? Now, they did obviously to Houston and West Virginia, well that would have been big 12 um yeah, yeah i guess maybe the only big
1: 12 games where they gave up an opening drive touchdown it was west virginia and oklahoma what about baylor um and maybe baylor i think you need to double
0: check your math here okay, we're going to go back three. and look at that okay uh, download three. the draftkings sports book well, we out no. now oh, oh sorry go ahead no. do the read do the read uh use promo code klwn place a $5 pregame money line bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. 10 plus leg required for 100% boost. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. I
1: think I discounted the Baylor one because they got the ball at the 20 and okay. scored it on like in a, on a 20-yard drive. Okay, also, huge news. Mm-hmm. Huge news. Yes. Massive news. Yesterday's- Derek, Do you know- uh, This needs to be redeemed. Do you know what a mink is? A mink? Like a minx. No, a mink. Like the animal. A mink. Do you know what that is? I thought- Are you saying, a lynx? No, mink. M-I-N-K. A mink. monkey? No, no, no. Mink. Spell it again? M-I-N-K. Mink. <laughs> it's like a little rat rodent thing. Uh no, I'm not aware of this animal. I'm looking it up though. Okay. Okay. It's like a It's like a weasel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weasel, okay. otter
0: mix, I don't know. Whatever.
1: So anyways, in Northwest Ohio, there is a mink farm mm-hmm. that has over 40,000 mink at the farm. <laughs> okay. Someone broke into this man's farm uh, in Northwest Ohio and released all of the mink. <laughs> so that the, so there <laughs> there are currently 10,000 there are currently 10,000 mink on the loose in Northwest Ohio running around. Wow. Are they problematic? This is a, well, okay. Let me read the direct quote from the sheriff in Northwest Ohio. Quote, I don't know that there is a significant threat to people per se. Sheriff Riggenbach said in an interview on Wednesday. But he added that it could attack other small animals and livestock. I don't want to encourage people to approach them and try to capture them on their own. <laughs> so I don't think you're just going to get killed by a bunch of mink. But, be wary if you're in Northwest Ohio. I mean, it's it's
0: that that saying of like, what would you rather fight? You know, like one gorilla or like True, yeah. fifty, yeah, uh, ten
1: thousand mink yeah. or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the usual news. So it's a, uh, so apparently a bunch of them went and died on a highway somewhere. So they had to clear. a Officials in of Northwest Ohio had have cleared dead mink from a highway and were warning residents that hungry animals could seek out their pets and livestock for meals after 10,000 of the creatures escaped from a farm on Tuesday. Yeah,
0: see, I just wonder if they're problematic for the environment or
1: anything, you know? They, Can yeah, you keep them as pets? Be. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know, actually. So it's the Lion Farms USA Mink Farm. Why do we have a miles, mink farm? What 150 are we 150 miles here? north of Cincinnati. <sighs> so, somebody, someone broke into the farm and opened all the cages, allegedly. Okay. All right, we've spent too much time on this.
0: Uh, KU takes <laughs> down Duke last night, 69 64 It was great defense in the first half. Offense labored at times in the game. I mean, you only put up 33 in the first half. Really, for a while in the second half, you labored a bit um, until they didn't for the final few minutes of the game. And then you just had more than enough from Grady Dick and uh, whatnot for what ended up turning into a uh, really fun win in the end there for KU.
1: Yeah, Duke is obviously not polished. From what I watched. I mean, they have a ton of length and a ton of talent. No question about that. They've got a ton of size, right? But they they clearly are not a polished team, obviously, early in the season. Which, I mean, three games in, you don't expect them to be. But KU was clearly ahead of them in that area, right? And for Duke, uh, I I think that this was just a a game where they maybe were – I don't know that they were relying too much on their athletic ability and size, but like that was the only thing they really had going for them against Kansas. Like I feel like Kansas pretty much beat them in, in every other phase.
0: Yeah, I think that it was a game where Kansas at halftime, we were sitting there scratching our head going, they why are they up only like up four? You know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then the run that, that Duke has in the second half, it, it ends up instead of maybe they're up five, maybe they're still down six or seven um certainly if I you know either team winning that game wouldn't have been a surprise and, and I think they are probably two top 10 teams that that ended up playing there I think the win's gonna look a lot better come February and March because of some of that rawness on Duke that, that they're gonna get better Kansas is gonna get better too yeah um and so like some of the offensive issues would make sense it's early in the season you played a really lengthy team nobody could shoot in that NBA arena for either team yeah um really on on any of the games, except for, like, Joey Hauser, who was just making everything for Michigan State in their game. But I think the two teams were, like, 6 of 40 combined for the Kansas-Duke game. And, like, it's not just that they were missing threes. Like, they were missing threes. You know, yes. like, you're talking air balls off the backboard, stuff like Like, not pretty. So, so nobody was, was having... Good time shooting the ball, and then you add in all those other things early season woes, lengthy team. Uh, but it was pretty clear, especially as they were laboring for offense when they were trailing, kind of like when it was like 55 54, 59, whatever it was, that they needed guys who could get buckets. And Jalen Wilson showed that lesson. He had 25 points, uh, took a lot of shots to get there, but also if you discount the three pointers, which nobody was making, it becomes a lot more efficient of a game. And the question was because Jalen played 38 minutes, like, you need somebody else to be able to get you a bucket, and especially if defenses are keen on on Jalen Wilson. Um, that was important for Grady Dick to show that at the end because uh, he started the game well. That, that one reverse layup he had on the cut, unbelievable make. And yeah. then for a stretch for the end of the first half, kind of disappeared on offense. A lot of that was Duke was just putting so much uh, of their key on defense toward trying to limit him. And then in the second half, they started going at him defensively and he had some troubles so much so that that norm roberts had to put him on the bench for a little bit of the game but he put him back out there toward the end of the game and um he came up clutch for you i mean to show that that mentality as a freshman to not let maybe some of the earlier struggles haunt you and come out there and hit that big three in transition you score seven quick points you basically win ku the game at the end there that i think showed how important he's going to be for this team that they need him to produce on offense, because in the half court, this team doesn't have a ton of half court options. And because of the defense, because of the transition scoring, because of having Jalen Wilson, because of having a trusty point guard in Dewan Harris, they're still going to be a really good basketball team. But the difference between them being a really good basketball team and one of the best or the best teams in the country is that guys like Grady Dick step up and are consistent scoring options, which is what you saw at the end of the game. Yeah, you
1: think about what the, the arc of Grady Dick that you kind of highlighted there, where he starts the game pretty well. And then... In the middle of the game, and in the early in the first in the second half, he looked like a freshman. He looked like scared to shoot. He was getting attacked on defense and not really responding well. And he goes to the bench and and think about the mental fortitude that you have to have as a young guy in your third game and the biggest lights of your career to come back off the bench after spending it what he was on the bench for at least five to seven minutes. Yeah, right? a while you know, in in the second half, and to come off the bench and immediately impact the game in such a positive way for Kansas and to turn things around for them. I mean, that that's huge. And so I think I think you the only way you can look at this for Grady Dick is as it is an immense positive. An immense, immense positive for him and what he was able to do and and how he was able to respond to the adversity that he personally faced. Because you're right, Duke started going after him and they had a lot of success, right? And it became so much so that he like you said, he had to go to the bench. I mean, when you have a guy who's a defensive liability like that, you have to change it up, right? And I think to your point, I really started thinking about this. Consider last season's team for Kansas. At any given moment, with any lineup on the floor, Kansas had a minimum of three guys that you could say, okay, we need a bucket, this guy's going to do it for you, right? Dave, Oach, Christian Brown, in the tournament, Remy, Jalen to a certain extent, yeah. right? Like you you know, had, A lot of times there's four. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, like I said, at a minimum you had three guys, generally it was more than that, of just guys like, okay, we need a bucket, this guy's going to get the ball and he's going to go score. Well, in the second half of the game against Duke, especially when Grady was on the bench during that tough stretch, in my mind, I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, okay, you know, we can really use the bucket here. And then I look at who's on the floor: Dewan, Bobby, KJ, Zuby, <laughs> and Jalen. And I'm like, and I'm like, oh boy, this is this is this is tough, right? So, and I mean, uh, I think a lot of credit goes to Jalen for stepping up the way he did and able to produce like he did. But the reality situation is. Right now, like Kansas, just doesn't. They don't have that. They don't have that. The depth of guys that you can just turn to to get a bucket. I mean, at this point, you're looking at Jalen and Grady, and that's it. And the other and the issue, furthermore to that, is who who on the rest of the roster could potentially turn into a bucket getter guy type guy. Like McCuller, is that it? Like, do we think like? Because Zuby and Ernest, those are not going to be post-up guys no. like Dave was. No, I KJ's think I, not going to be that guy.
0: I, I think that's the point. It's that uh, like Maybe MJ Rice. MJ Rice yeah, is no, the one yeah, where... MJ yeah, Rice yeah, right. is what I was
1: going to get to. MJ Rice is the guy. There's a clear and definite need mm-hmm. for MJ Rice but to even be then, on the team. MJ Rice might be the 7th or 8th man. You know what I mean? So, like, basically
0: what this boils down to is Grady Dick has to be two things. One, he has to be aggressive offensively and a big score for you. And two... He has to be able to at least stay on the floor defensively that can keep him on the floor for the offense. Like those are gonna be the biggest keys for KU this season to get that second score. And you're right, with the five men like
1: you know, we saw with with Zubi and, and Uday. Like they're like one... they're not they're not bad players, obviously. And, no. like, and obviously K J does a lot for the team. Right. But he's not. I don't think he's. I don't think KJ is going to, at any point this season, develop into a guy that you can dump it into and he can just go get right. a basket. Right. Like there will be a couple times that he catches a lob or is able to actually, because if
0: the defense is playing off him, like dribble into him and hit a floater from the lane. We saw that in the game and he can do it. But that's
1: not going to be a consistent. Exactly. You know, you need a bucket like late in, in the, the game. In the half court, you need a bucket. Who are you going to? Mm-hmm. It's Jalen, it's Grady, and we think. MJ Rice, but he hasn't even played enough that we can really be sure. And then, like I said, beyond that, of the other guys on the team, like who could develop into a guy like that? Again, McCuller, maybe. But uh, again, that, even that's not really his game. You know, and he, I, I don't, I mean, uh, McCuller again isn't, and again, the rest of the guys, it's not like they're not impactful players and they don't do. I mean, obviously, Dewan was arguably the best player on the floor, right? But he's not a guy that, you, you know, you're just going to pass the ball to and say, okay, Go get yeah. a buck. Go, go go score.
0: Yeah, same way as KJ. He'll have a couple times where he slithers through and makes a tough layup, but that's not going to be like a staple of the offense or something that you can count on every time. So uh, as far as like negatives and positives, just kind of quickly rolling through some of this stuff. Uh, yeah, like you need the second, maybe even the third scoring option. How much does MJ Rice help? Um, I, I, obviously, the five is a bit unsettled for you here. Ernest KJ today. was great. He was, but also I think you saw some of the limitations as a defensive rebounder. He only had two rebounds in the game. Duke had like 20-something offensive rebounds. Uh, Ernest Uday had one rebound and I think went 0-1 from the field in like 13 minutes. Didn't get a ton there. Zuby Edgeifer had two points on one of two shooting in like 10 minutes. He did close the game, so maybe that tells you we're starting to see a shift in who they trust at the five. I'll say this. I, I think Zuby is the best rebounder of the five men. Uday is the best rim runner. And probably lob threat of the five men. I still feel like Uday probably has the highest ceiling. I feel like Zubi's probably better right now. So you would understand if they want to play either. If they're like, no, Zuby's just better, we'll give it to him. Or if they're like, no, we think Uday has a higher ceiling. Let's get him time early in the season before things start to get really real. Uh, to try to get him, you know, kind of ironed out in that way. And, and that was a big problem. Like the defensive rebounding. Now I, I don't want to have like massive takeaways about, okay, who's going to have trouble defensive rebounding? And Duke has
1: four seven that's foot thing. things.
0: You're not going to play another team like Duke. You no. really not. Not unless, I mean, you maybe, him,
1: not unless you meet him in the tournament. Again. Yeah. I, I
0: mean, I guess you'll play Oscar Sheboy with Kentucky, but that's not really four. That's one guy who's yeah. just, you know. So, like, realistically, you're not going to play a ton of teams who even have one big like Duke, uh, let alone two, let alone four coming off the bench <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I'm not overly concerned about the rebounding. Can you still end up with ended up with like twelve offensive rebounds at their own right? Yes, the defensive rebounding needs to get better, but also, you know, if you have Zach Clements and MJ Rice, like maybe you get helped in some regard. I don't know. Um the the centers will get better. It was a bit of a concern, but not something I'm yeah, I'm um, just like overly worried about. The yeah. positives, Jalen is an absolute dude. Put up unbelievable numbers. Um Grady Dick is gonna have certain struggles, but you know, I love the mentality of just being able to to go out and shoot. Dewan Harris to me is just kind of like a he's like a puppet master. It's like you're not focusing on the guy who's uh doing the puppeteering. You're focusing on the puppet. Yeah. But it's really the guy controlling the puppet um that is having the big impact. Uh what he did the last few minutes while he was cramping up, throwing lobs, impacting things on the defensive end, like he just continues to have a hand when, when KU really plays at their best. I think John Shire said after the game that they're just in like complete control when he's on the floor. And then, yeah, KJ Adams, I, I do have questions about the defensive rebounding if they're playing a big team like that. But again, against most teams, you don't have to worry about it. And he's good enough, he's gritty enough that I think what you saw in that game – he can step up defensively, even against a big center. The yeah. fact that KU had double-digit blocks with a small lineup, and a lot of those were like Kevin McColar or KJ Adams or Dewan Harris. That one chase-down play where Dewan yeah. Harris has the block, <laughs> and then I forget if it was McCuller. or it was I Uday, it was, I think. Was it Uday or KJ? One of yeah. them got the second block, and then there's the loose ball. They dive on it. If, if they would have, if the lob would the lob completed at the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, from Dewan to Uday, that would have been such a fun <laughs> sequence of play. But, um, yeah,
1: anything that you want to add there? Yeah, so Jalen Wilson uh, last night became just the third player in the Bill Self era to attempt 25-plus shots in a game, which is kind of wild. So, Sean Collins did it in 2009, and Perry Ellis did it in a, against Oklahoma in 2016. So, think about that. I mean, in 20 years, Bill Self has had three players shoot 25-plus shots, and I think that just speaks to his style of coaching, right, where he's not necessarily going to just want it to be one guy. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is like, I could see Jalen having 25-plus attempts again this season. Or like multiple times this season, right? Like if you have more games where Grady Dick is struggling, and if you have, and if MJ Rice is maybe not as impactful as we think he's going to be, then uh, I mean I don't know. I think it could be Jalen Jalen more, right? And then I think the reversal of what we're discussing with the some of the offensive things for KU, where they don't necessarily maybe really have a guy that can go get a bucket, is they may not need to. Like their yeah. defense is so good, they might just the game will just might just be over most of the time, right? Like the defense is just so phenomenal. Uh, I thought they did a fantastic job pretty much the whole game, even given some of the limitations going up against the seven footers of Duke. I mean, listen, Duke had the number one recruit in the entire country coming off the bench, the seven one lively. I think he played a little bit, but he he was coming off the bench. So you have already philipowski and and uh, and Young the, the transfer from Northwestern. and then they have the seven one number one overall recruit as the first guy off the bench, right? So yeah. so uh, you know, I, I think if you if you look at this game big picture wise, Duke is probably not a team you want to see in the tournament if you're Kansas. But at the same on the same side of that discussion is Duke is the only team in the country that has what they have if that makes sense. Like yes. there's like like you're not going to run into another team that even has anything close to Duke. So from that standpoint in terms of like the tournament and whatnot, it's not like you're going to run into more teams that have that level of skill and size. So from that standpoint in the tournament, I guess you just hope somebody else beats Duke <laughs> because because I don't think you want to see them again later in the season because they they were – I thought Duke was pretty sloppy, actually. I didn't think they played a clean game really at all. And I think a lot of it had to do with just uh, – they have a lot of freshmen, a lot of young raw guys who are still trying to gel with a new young head coach, right? Yep. So if they figure it out and they put things together and Derek Whitehead, who was the number two overall recruit, gets healthy, and comes back, like, that's going to be a very, very, very dangerous team, right? And Kansas – but to their point to their credit though they handled it really really well right I mean they they handled it really really well and and I thought they played excellent on defense and yeah Dewan Harris I I think we need to be ready to hear Bill self say that Dewan Harris was the best player on the floor after every game and that and I it's it might be true almost after every game too I mean he's he's phenomenal in in what he does but but yeah I think the key for KU is going to be getting enough help for Jalen
0: He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Uh, This will be a really short segment. In just a bit, we're going to be joined by Anthony DeBundo of Action Network to preview the World Cup coming up this weekend. Uh, just wanted to recap our Rock Chalk Pickahawk slaughtered. Yeah, I suck. 116-51. to
1: Okay, I would like to make an official statement. (laughs) Okay. I... The rules were not made clear enough to me Mm -hmm. when we started this. I was under the impression, because you, as you outlined, that you lose a point for every shot. It was not clarified to me if that meant every shot you miss or just every shot total. To be clear, I think I still would have spanked you. No, I'm saying that, yes. In this scenario, I don't think it mattered. But it it matters to me in that uh, that changes how I would maybe potentially have drafted. Okay,
0: well, keep in mind for the future, yes, it is just based off shots missed. So you, only,
1: you only lose a point if you miss shots.
0: Yeah, so I don't need to go super far into this, but I'll just say this. <laughs> Jalen Wilson and KJ Adams combined for more points than your whole team had. Yeah,
1: honestly, like, since Uday didn't shoot, Zubi didn't shoot, they didn't get enough You freebounds. almost got the
0: negative from Joe Yesufu, but he ended up in a positive <laughs> because he had an assist and a uh, steal.
1: Which, that's pretty remarkable because I thought, I thought for sure he was going to go he was 0 for 4. Yeah. Yeah yeah, Joe, we didn't mention it in the in the first segment, but Yesufu is, is playing himself out of the rotation. <laughs> like we talk about guys playing into the rotation. Yesifu is playing himself out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. All right, he is uh
0: Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're gonna take a timeout. When we come back, World Cup preview with Anthony Debundo. This is RCST. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM one oh one seven and thirteen twenty KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. And while we have all the football action and KU basketball going on right now, the World Cup actually starts up this weekend. It starts up on Sunday. Team USA has their first game on Monday. That's November 21st. And so wanted to kind of get a little bit of a preview for the World Cup. Obviously, you can bet on some of this action as it's going on. Uh, so I'm bringing on Anthony DeBundo, who uh, works for Action Network and has been going over some of this World Cup previews. Highly recommend giving him a follow and, and checking out some of his work to get you prepared for the World Cup. Anthony, appreciate you joining the show today. And I want wanted to start with some team USA and then get into some of the national team uh for some of the other countries and, and other groups. Obviously for the US they make it back here after missing out on this last go around. Uh, does that already make this a success that that they've made it this far or I guess what is to kind of be expected of this team from this point on?
3: Yeah, I think uh it's not just a success to get here. You know, the United States has a as a standard they've set through the past teams that the expectation is that the U.S. should be in every World Cup, and I think the goal here is to get out of the group. And that's always the goal for the U.S. right now. They come into this tournament with a lot of expectations, I think, because this is kind of the beginning of the golden generation of players that we're finally seeing break through to the top clubs in Europe. But also, this is the youngest team in the tournament. So the United States is very young. If you look at their top talent, you know, Christian Pulisic, Giovanni Reina, the players that everybody knows. All of them are under the age of 23, 24, some of them as young as 20, 19 even. So you're looking at a lot of really young talent, and I think this is the opportunity for them to kind of get their feet wet and to, you know, play in this level. You know, they went through qualifying, and a lot of them had never done it. They had never gone to Panama and Costa Rica and Jamaica and tried to get results on the road in hostile environments in, in, in tough conditions. And now this is an opportunity for them to show it on the world stage and kind of set the tone for what will be the best U.S. team ever at the next World Cup when we're able to host it in four years. So I think the the expectations are that the U.S. will get out of the group. I think that's the the standard that they've set and the talent they have. If you were to line up the talent on paper, they're the second most talented team in this group. So you'd expect them to get through. But soccer's not that easy. Uh, There's a lot of flukes. There's a lot of variants. There's a lot that goes into, you know, one bounce here or there. And so it's going to be very difficult to get out because Wales and Iran are certainly not pushovers.
0: What do you think the ceiling for this team is? And for that to happen, what would need to go right?
3: Yeah, I think there's a strong argument that they're a, a low floor, kind of high ceiling team. You know, like I mentioned with the youth and the inexperience, you know, does the pressure get to them? They haven't been in great form. The last couple of friendlies have not been particularly inspiring performances. And there are some injuries at center back that, that make them a little bit more vulnerable, I think. But the ceiling is high. I think that they could easily make the quarterfinals, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. Of course, it all depends on how the draw works out. If they come in second, they're likely to face the Netherlands. They'd be a decent underdog against them in the round of 16. If they were to somehow win the group, or if the Netherlands were to slip up, though, they would be you know, right around 50-50 to get past a team like Senegal or Qatar. They'd be favored against Qatar. Or could even face Ecuador. I think they'd be favored against them, too. So It really depends on what the path is, but if they're able to even uh, get out of this group, in a way you kind of get to play with house money at that point. And yes, they're not as good as the Netherlands, but uh, they're actually somewhat better built to play in a more reactive, you know, sit a little bit deeper and counter into space, and, and they have very good runners and dribblers, whereas they've struggled in qualifying. It came down to the U.S. is the better team. The other team is making them try to, you know, go at them. Do they have the passing quality to break these other teams down defensively? That has been more of a struggle. So in a a way, I think the England game will be a really interesting one from that point of view because they get to be a little bit more reactive as opposed to proactive where the pressure's on the other team and they can kind of transition a little bit and and take advantage. So I think the ceiling, you know, the quarterfinals uh, is probably, you know, where you'd say this was a hell of a run for the U.S. and and that would be the the, the ceiling. But, I mean, crazier things have happened. I mean, the U.S. was a, a couple of kicks away from the semifinals in 2002 and that team was significantly less talented than the one that is playing uh, next week so you never really know
0: we're talking with Anthony DeBundo from Action Network here on RCST All right, I want to go group by group here we'll just start in uh, order with Group A Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal and Netherlands um, I'll kind of leave you the floor here in terms of how you want to take this I, I don't know if you want to say who you think wins the group maybe a dark horse team or, or what the top storyline is but what sticks out to you in Group A
3: yeah, the top storyline is probably the injury to Sadio Mane, who uh, was a star for Liverpool for many years and now just moved to Bayern Munich. He's the star player for Senegal, their main attacking threat. Uh, it looks like he's going to miss at least the first two games of this World Cup and may miss the entire group stage. That definitely hurts Senegal's chances, whereas on paper, they were the second-best team in this group pretty clearly. They will not have him for the early parts of this tur- tournament. Uh, and that you know How do they re- react to that? I think that's really the, the biggest question mark in this group. And also the hosts, uh, Qatar, their entire team plays in their own domestic league. They took the last three months off. They haven't played matches, and they basically all come together just to train for this World Cup to try to put on a performance uh, and, and not embarrass themselves kind of on the world stage. And they don't have the talent of the other three teams, but that's a huge advantage when you consider that a lot of these other players have come just off the plane from their international club, from their club teams, uh, from around the world, just you know, kind of getting dropped in and then practicing with a whole new team, Qatar has a kind of advantage in the sense that they've been practicing together for months, and they'll be more adept to the conditions. Uh, the Netherlands are clearly the class of the group. When you look at the talent across the board, I think they're a real dark horse. Of all the teams in Europe coming into this tournament, you could make a strong argument that the Netherlands are in the best form, new manager, significantly improved. Uh, they've got you know their best center back from, from Liverpool is back in the lineup. He didn't play last summer at the Euros, so I think that the, the Holland wins the group. And I'm going to actually take uh, Qatar to surprise some people and get out of this group. Although I think it's very tight between the other three teams.
0: Group B is where the United States rests, and you mentioned uh, Wales and, and Iran. Uh, it, does it feel like it's it's England as as the clear number one team, and then those other three are kind of neck and neck for figuring out the number two, or, or what do you kind of expect to happen in Group B?
3: You know, it's tricky because yes, on paper, England has clearly the most talent. England has, uh, I would argue, you know, three, or, probably third or fourth most talented team at this entire World Cup. Uh, But the the performances have not matched up with the talent level. They have not won any of their last six matches in European uh, Nations League play. They have really struggled. And even if you go back to the last year's Euros, when they were one of the most talented teams, went all the way to the final, they weren't blowing teams away in the group stage. They won uh, Their group stage matches 1-0, 0-0 was a tie, and then they had a 1-0 win. So they're not a team that blows people away. And that makes this group really interesting because... Iran is very defensive, very compact. They like to sit deep and force teams to come onto them. They were in the World Cup four years ago with Spain and Portugal and Morocco, and they actually lost to Spain by one, tied Portugal, and beat Morocco. So they're a team that's not going to get you know, the doors blown off either. Wales is also a very conservative team. So I don't think there's going to be a ton of goals in this group. I think there's a lot of, a lot of tight games, uh, but I'll take England to win it. I, I think that in the end they have the most quality most talent. And I'm going to pick the U.S. to come in second. I think the, the biggest game is really this first game with Wales. If they're able to win this uh, on Monday, I think they're, very, they're in very very strong position to get out. But if they don't get a result, it's likely to come down to Iran on the final day. And like I said, Iran is very difficult defensively, so it, it could be a difficult game for the U.S. So this first one's really important, but I'll pick them to get out uh, because I do think they're the second most talented team.
0: Well, sounds like certainly uh circling some of the unders for some of those games that group C features Argentina who's one of the favorites for the tournament, Saudi Arabia, Mexico and Poland. Um I don't know, Robert Lewandowski going to going to carry Poland. Uh, what do you expect to happen in uh group C? Yeah,
3: it's funny. We always do this every tournament. It's so oh, is Robert Lewandowski going to be able to carry Poland uh, and then it never really comes together and I think that's going to be uh more the same for the polls in this group. I think it's a a difficult group to to forecast because Argentina is the clear favorite. I think they'll have no issues. I think Mexico and Poland are a little bit down uh, compared to past Poland and Mexico teams, even. Poland's underlying numbers in qualifying were pretty uninspiring. Mexico's at the point where the age profiles of some of their top players are a little bit concerning, and the performance has definitely dropped off. Uh, But you can always expect Mexico to get out of the group, and so that's what I do expect. Uh, Argentina and Mexico will advance here. I think... Uh, Mexico, Poland is the first game that will probably decide who goes through. But uh, if you you know the, the market has these two teams basically as a toss up to get to get out of this group. I do think Mexico is just a little bit better, but not a huge gap there for second. Uh, and I kind of agree with the market that this this game this group seems pretty chalky on paper.
0: Group D features France, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. Are you expecting any surprises to unseat France? And uh, who is the clear number two in Group D?
3: I think this group has some potential for some interesting, uh, interesting chaos at the top. Uh, France has the world cup cur- curse on them now, right? So in 2006, Italy won the world cup. They failed to get out of the group in 2010. In 2010, Spain won the world cup. They failed to get out of the group in 2014. Germany won it in 2014. In 2018, they lost in the group stage. So there's a bit of a recurring curse that, and, and there is a theory to it. And, and, you know, teams tend to peak at certain times and they go through cycles and, France is sort of in that situation. The, the the starting three-man midfield that won the World Cup for France in 2018, none of them will be playing in this tournament. Two to injury, one to basically retirement. So it's an entirely new midfield, and the two starting center-backs who started in that World Cup final will not be playing in this World Cup for France. So there, there's a lot of turnover with France. Of course, there's so much talent and still, and they have depth. And Kylian Mbappe is one of the best players in the world, and Karim Benzema, like they have the firepower, but do they have the consistency and they have not shown consistency in their recent form. And and, and since really the euros last summer, when they were very unimpressive, Uh, France hopes that their talent wins over everything else over, you know, kind of a lacking tactics and Denmark is kind of the opposite. And I think Denmark is very live and I'm picking them to win this group. Uh, I still think France will come in second, but I'm picking Denmark to win the group. They were kind of the darlings of the, of the euros last summer. I was riding them going into that tournament. I'm riding them again here. Uh, one of the best out of possession teams in the entire tournament. They press really well. They're very good uh, without the ball, and they have some playmakers. And Christian Eriksen will be healthy for this tournament. They have some playmakers. Some very strong midfield. I think they have the better midfield when you compare them to France in this game. So uh, France also lost to Denmark twice this summer in the Nations League. So Denmark, with plenty of experience, plenty of cohesion, I'm going to pick them to win the group. A little bit of an upset, but I do think France's talent uh, will will be enough to get past Tunisia. Uh, and, and Australia, who I'm not expecting too much from the Socceroos at the bottom of the group there.
0: Group E, I, I don't know. We always hear the term the group of death for uh, the different groups, and I don't know what you would classify the group of death for this year. For me, I I kind of wonder if it is Group E. you got Spain, Germany, Costa Rica, and Japan. Uh, I, I guess, first of all, what would you consider the group of death, and, and what do you expect to happen in this group?
3: Yeah, I actually think this is the group of death. I agree with, with that characterization japan was a team that i was i was kind of when the draw first you know before it came out i was like okay where's japan going to be because i think they're dangerous to get out uh, and then they got the you know the toughest group which was spain and germany the two european giants uh, it's very hard to draw the path for japan to get out because they're probably going to need to beat one of the two of them or hope that costa rica does some magic and costa rica is a team we saw them in the 2014 world cup they stunned everybody. They were a penalty shootout from the semifinal. That was like the peak age of all their top talented players. And what's happened is in the last eight years, they've kind of fallen off and they've gotten old and They haven't had a new generation that's really come through. So I'm out on Costa Rica. I think they, they arguably could be the worst team in the field, but Japan is really interesting. They're dark horse. The one thing I like about them, they're not afraid to come out and play these bigger teams. They're not afraid to press high. They're not afraid to cause turnovers. They're not afraid to create a chaotic back and forth kind of game. Japan and, Germany and Spain are two of the most dominant possession teams you'll see in international uh, soccer. When they both lose the ball, though, they, they are vulnerable to, to the quick kind of transitions, and I think that's where Japan can have some success here. Their, their talent is not on the level of the other two, other two nations, of course, but from a stylistic point of view, in a knockout tournament, they're the kind of team that can cause some problems. I, you know, they're 4-1 to one to advance. I, I took some, some some money on that. Uh, I do think that they have a chance to get out of this. Ultimately, I do think it'll be Spain and Germany. But I uh, would not be surprised to see Japan surprising people or taking this even to the final day of the, of the tournament, of the group stage, where it, it gets decided then.
0: Group F features Belgium, Croatia, who went on that uh, really fun World Cup run. I forget if that was 2018 or, or 2014. Uh, Canada and Morocco, uh, what sticks out to you here on Group F?
3: Yeah, if if Group E is the group of death, I'm going to say Group F is the group of chaos. Uh, (laughs) I am not a believer, particularly in Belgium or Croatia, coming to this tournament. You have to go back to the last Euros. Uh, Belgium lost the expected goal differential, which is like a metric for chances created and chances allowed. You know, it tends to be more predictive than actual goals, which can be a little bit more fluky. Um, They lost the battle in those games, three out of their five games at the Euros. Portugal, Denmark. Italy all clearly better than Belgium at this point and I think Belgium has had another year where their top players in defense and midfield have aged and they don't have that next generation coming through again it's a common theme you'll see that I've talked about here and Belgium's two best players are Kevin De Bruyne who's arguably the best player uh, in the the Premier League right now Uh, of course he's awesome Romelu Lukaku would be the second guy you'd mention and he was going into last summer in great form he just had a great year at Inter Milan But now he comes into this World Cup. He's barely played in the last year and a half for Chelsea and Inter via injuries and performance, and he hasn't quite been the same. So he's a question mark. The defense is a major question mark because of the age, fullbacks, the midfield. There's a lot of question marks with Belgium, and there's a lot of question marks with Croatia, who also wasn't particularly good at the Euros. They did get out of the group, but looked pretty sluggish against England. They're an older team. All of their top players are in their 30s, whether it's midfield, fullbacks, uh, and, and strikers. So... Could they wilt in the heat here? You know, that's another thing you have to worry about is, is that you're playing a lot of matches, three matches in a week, basically, uh, in the Qatar heat, in the humidity. Uh, it, it's very interesting to try to, try to forecast uh, how these older teams will do. And I think Morocco is my favorite team, uh, you know, in Africa of the qualifiers. They had the best underlying numbers, and two of their best players, Mazrawi from Bayern Munich and uh, Ziyech from Chelsea, where were they had been you know they had a feud with the last manager. They fired that manager, brought in a new manager, who brought these two players back in. They're on the World Cup team. I think Morocco is very dangerous to get out. I, I think they will win this group. They're my, they're my long-shot pick of all the groups that um, go with Morocco, uh, and Canada as well. I mean, Canada has a, a strong way of playing, defend, counter with pace. Uh, they have three young attacking players who are extremely fast, extremely quick, and in great form so they have a a real chance to get out of this group too i think this is the group where you're going to go into the final day anything can happen uh, and it's going to be very wide open
0: group g brazil who is uh one of the top favorites to win the world cup serbia switzerland and cameroon round out the group how do you see this going what sticks out to you
3: yeah brazil is the tournament favorite and i think that's that's rightly so I think they are the best team on paper and their price is the best team in the betting markets. Uh and they haven't won it in a long time. So they you know they're a little bit, you know, due in that sense uh and they do have a ton of depth and a ton of talent. There are some question marks defensively. I don't think they'll get exploited in this group though. I think if we see a problems with Brazil, we'll see them later in the tournament when they play, you know, some of the big boys. I think they win this group comfortably. Uh they play Serbia the first match. Serbia will be without their star striker, Mitrovic. Uh so that definitely hurts them. I think this group will be Brazil first second place. will come down to the final day. Serbia plays Switzerland. And it's kind of an interesting battle because Serbia is the team with probably the bigger names that the casual soccer fan will know. They'll know the Duzan Vlahovic from Juventus. They'll know Philip Kostic from Juventus. Uh, They have some of the, you know, better top end players, but Switzerland is the, probably the better defense, the better goalkeeping and the better midfield. Uh, And I will take the Swiss uh, and their tournament experience to get to the round of 16, which they always seem to do. Uh, and get out of this group, and then probably lose in the in the in the round of sixteen. But I think the Swiss are the better team overall, so I'll take them in second. But I I don't see a huge difference between them and Serbia. I think that'll be a, a tight match, uh, and the markets, uh, you know, seem to think that Switzerland's slightly better, and I'm kind of in agreement there.
0: The last group is Group H with Portugal, maybe the last ride for Ronaldo. I feel like that's been the case the last couple World Cups, and then he just keeps chugging along. Who knows? Uh, Ghana, Uruguay, and Korea. Uh, what do you see happening in Group H?
3: Yeah, Uruguay is a really interesting dark horse, and they're probably my favorite long shot pick to uh, go really deep in this tournament. And and they have the potential to go very deep. They're fifty to one right now, and uh, you can find some some five to ones to make the the, uh, the semifinals. I think that that's where I'm looking. You know, I picked them to win this group. I got them some two to one to win the group. Uh, Portugal, you mentioned Ronaldo. Uh, Ronaldo had a great Euros last year. He he won the Golden Boot. He had the most goals. Three of them were penalties. But he was in great form at the time. You know, you know, he had just had a good season in Italy. Uh, he was still you know, a much better player than I think the Ronaldo we're seeing a year and a half later where he had an okay but not great season at Man United. And then this year has been a, a catastrophe really for Ronaldo. He's barely playing. He's feuding with the manager. He's feuding with the clubhouse, the locker room. Uh, they're not really getting along. He just did that interview with Piers Morgan where he said that He has no respect for the manager because the manager has no respect for him and and he doesn't feel at home at Man United anymore. Uh, So there's a lot of risk now because Portugal's kind of building their attack around a 37-year-old striker who doesn't run like he used to, who doesn't produce like he used to, and now has all this other drama surrounding him. Uh, Portugal's at risk here where if they have to start Ronaldo up top because he is Ronaldo, but if it's a reduced Ronaldo they have so many other attacking players that I think get diminished because of that, and and, and it's beyond that too. Portugal's defense in qualifying was not particularly impressive. Uh, their midfield still lacks like that elite player that all the other you know you look at every team in in the top eight or nine you can point to that one elite midfielder where you're like this guy is like a game changer. Portugal doesn't really have that, uh, and so I think Portugal's a little vulnerable. I do think they'll still get out of this group, but uh, the interesting thing here, of course. Is if you finish second, you're probably playing Brazil in the round of 16. So I think Portugal will come in second probably, and then and then they'll face Brazil and they'll probably get outclassed there. But I think Uruguay, if they're able to win the group and avoid that Brazil round of 16, that's where the path opens up, where they could get you know like a Switzerland and then potentially a quarterfinal with a weaker opponent. Uh, and that's where I think uh, you know that's where I'm looking to get at Uruguay's future chance. If they're able to win this group, they're they're alive to make a run. And that's my favorite dark horse long shot pick uh, to go deep in this tournament.
0: He is Anthony DeBundo. You can check him out with Action Network. You can uh, also find him on Twitter at Anthony DeBundo. D-A-B-B-U-N-D-O. Anthony, appreciate the time coming on here and, and helping us preview the World Cup.
3: Yeah, and congrats on the big win last night, Rock Chalk.
0: <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, I wish I could say the same for Syracuse, not trying to throw shade. Uh, I are yeah, went a little we're tougher.
3: rough year. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Again.
0: Well, Anthony, appreciate the time as always, man.
3: No problem, thank you.
0: That was Anthony DeBundo of Action Network joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. One hour down, two to go. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Are you looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Coming up in about 20 minutes, we're going to be joined by Jamie Bermel, the KU men's golf head coach. We've got some Andy Kotelnicki audio to get to you in the 4 o'clock hour. KU basketball audio to get to you in the 5 o'clock hour here. Let's do a uh, college basketball whip around. Certainly feels like the Champions Classic kicks off the season obviously not the opening night this this year uh let's just kind of recap the whole champions classic we'll start with the first game Kentucky loses to Michigan State in double overtime we had joked multiple times over the last week or so yeah that, that we were going to get screwed over yeah there was already going to be the late game and that it was going to go to multiple overtimes and the game was going to take and it gonna happened s- they're going to spend
1: 45 minutes unveiling the CFP ranking like, and I loved it that they so were bad. like
0: building up the drama of the CFP rankings. There's all the exact and same. It was, yes, exactly. It was, it was the, literally exact the exact same. same, except USC moved from eight to seven because somebody lost. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> Congratulations. It's just the ratings. Groundbreaking.
1: Brown, it really is. Yeah. It's so bad.
0: Oscar Shiboy, though, returned for Kentucky and immediately just. Went back to putting up double doubles. I I think he he played like ten minutes in the first half and he had like (laughs) thirteen points and nine rebounds or something stupid. He's just he's a force inside. Now it does, it does like there are certain things about having Oscar Shebue that don't make everything perfect. That you do kind of have to run your offense where you have kind of a plotting center in the middle because he's not. He's not somebody who can yeah, really he's even. He's not a very mobile guy. No, he's not. And he's not really even someone. I know he'll occasionally take like even a 14 footer, but you let him have it if you're a defense. Um and also defensively, he's not very mobile. Now, that doesn't mean you can't still be a great team around like a an immobile, great rebounding, dominant yeah. inside center. Like yeah. we've seen KU do it plenty of years in the past, right? Um But that was certainly interesting. Michigan State wins. And and I wonder if Michigan State is quote unquote back. You know what I mean? Like the last couple of years, Michigan State has been a middling team. Yes, like yeah. they've been bubble teams both years. You know, and last year they ended up doing well enough that they got a seven seed in the NCAA tournament, which is, I guess, a little bit more uh, to what we've seen in the past. But the year before, they were in the first four and, and lost to UCLA as a a potential eleven seed. It seems like they've because they lost by Gonzaga or to Gonzaga by a point, albeit on an aircraft carrier. And now they beat Kentucky, albeit a game that it felt like Kentucky was kind of in control of for the first, I don't know, 35. It felt like to
1: me, neither team wanted to win the game.
0: Yeah, it did in the, uh, through the overtimes. But it felt <laughs> like, to me, that Kentucky was... The better team. Yes, through the first, like, 35 minutes or so. I mean, so. Joey Hauser, I thought, was pretty much carrying Michigan State. He really was. He was, like, part. the only guy who could shoot at the yeah. Champions Classic. And that was a big difference. So, I guess,
1: is, like, Michigan State back to, to whatever they are? Uh, I mean... I think they're going to be a decent team. Are they back? Are they going like, to be? Do you like think they're a, top twenty-five? They could be a fringe top twenty-five team. So like you know, they might they might end up being like a six seed, a five seed, maybe. But that puts them right in the realm of upset central in the 5-12 <laughs> matchups. That's not where you want to be. But yeah, I don't I don't think they're a, I don't think they're a top twenty team. I think that's an interesting question.
0: I kind of think they are at this point, but, yeah, are they, like, a top 10 or
1: 15 team? I mean, where do they rank in the Big Ten? Are they, like, are they better than Michigan? Are they better than Wisconsin?
0: I think they're better better than Wisconsin. I don't know. They're probably in that same tier with, like, Purdue and, I don't know, maybe it's, like, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, seen as the top three, and then maybe it's, like, the next tier is, like, Michigan and Purdue and, I don't know, some of those other schools. Um, Does this speak anything down about Kentucky? I mean, it was the first game back for Oscar Shiboy. I think it was the first or second game back for Sevier Wheeler. Um, clearly, a game where they still looked pretty good, but kind of gave yeah. it away. Took double overtimes uh, against a, a solid team to lose. I will say, with Kentucky losing and KU winning, yeah, win moved up, up a little. Another win up. I think I think they're up five wins. now.
1: Yep, up to up to five wins.
0: I I do have serious concerns about this Kentucky team shooting the basketball. I mean, that there's always one team every year. And it's usually Kentucky or Duke because they bring in a billion five star freshmen that are six foot seven, six foot eight wings that are just mega athletes but not haven't refined their game to hitting shots. So it usually is one of those two teams. But like I think back to there are even teams that are like that, just superior athletically but can't shoot, that are still dominant teams. Like the Duke team was Zion Williamson. That team was the number one overall seed into the NCAA tournament. That team was really good. But they, they ranked in, like, the 300s in three-point shooting in the country. And I think the stat is that, like, no team ranked outside of the top, I forget what it is, like, 250 or something like that has ever, like, won the title in three-point. Like, it matters. You have to be able to hit threes. Yeah. And that's my big question with Kentucky. I think they're going to be a good team. I think they have a lot of talent. But I think when push comes to shove, I don't know if they have enough shooting. And I think that was on display last night. I think Kentucky
1: stinks. I think they're going to lose every game. I think, I think Cal stinks. That's my thing. that's my take on Kentucky. Well, how no, could, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Okay, how would you rank the four
0: teams? Like seriously, for the rest of the season, forget what just happened last night.
1: Uh, that were there: Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State. I think. I mean, the, I, I mean, assuming Duke like figures it out, they're they're the best team in the country. I think. Assuming they have so much talent. Assuming they figure it out and they, you know, coagulate and yeah. John Shire ends up being a decent coach.
0: Well, I think you could still see that Duke, even when they. When the big men mesh, they're still going to have issues maybe defending teams in space. I, I don't know.
1: I don't know the answer to that. I think that... The other, the other thing about that, though, is the ACC stinks. So Duke is probably... They're probably going to lose, like, one more game, two more games. Like, I mean, I mean, legitimately, the ACC is horrible.
0: North Carolina, that, that'll be a good matchup. North Carolina, yeah. But yeah, there's no other, like, team that... No. You'll, it's still college basketball. You'll lose a game or two that you're not supposed to. Are you sure? Weird game on the road. Like, you'll lose at Clemson or something like that. Um, I don't know, man. It's not a Duke team that's like the 2014 Kentucky. Like, they're good, but they're not... I don't know. I I kind of do agree with you that I think Duke is better than Kentucky. Yes. Which is weird because Kentucky was the team that brought back all the players and Duke is the team with all the new guys and Kentucky still added a bunch of really good new guys, but it's just that question with the shooting for me with Kentucky and the question of, do you have like a go-to perimeter score? CJ Frederick can maybe hit some threes. Uh Jacob Toppin, Obi Toppin's the, little uh, brother. Wallace. He could be pretty solid. The Wallace yeah. Guy hit a couple the case in Wallace guy can, can be pretty good, but I think the scouting report on him coming in was, was more so being like a really good defender. Severe Wheeler is more of a facilitator, not really a good shooter. Like, I, I don't know. I have. Uh, this is all me saying Kentucky's going to be a top 10 team, but I'm kind of out on them winning a title, maybe? I don't oh, yeah, know. for sure. We'll see. Oh, yeah, for sure. With Duke, I think you're right. There's so much talent there, and also the fact that. Derek Whitehead, who's the number two recruit, didn't play, and he's a six foot six wing that is a pretty good shooter, would very much help them. Derek Lively still working back. Like, we barely even saw him yeah, I don't in the really game. You played less than 10 minutes. They're going to be a lot better once the season comes to its close. And that's the beauty of Kansas, too. Like, they come out with a win, they're going to be a lot better when the yeah. season comes to its close, too. Grady Dick's going to get better. He'll have MJ Rice. You'll have possibly Zach Clements. Bill Self will be back on the <laughs> sidelines. Like, all those things are great. So I think you're right. I think you could argue those were the two best teams in the tournament or, or in yeah. not tournament, in the, in the showcase or whatever. Yeah, even despite Kentucky being the, the highest-ranked team coming in. Should Michigan State be kicked out? And put in what, like, I don't know who you put in because you can't put North Carolina in because then you have the problem with two ACC teams, right? Okay. Um, would you put, like, Villanova? I
1: don't think Villanova's going to be that good
0: though. Yeah, now without Jay Wright, um
1: they almost lost whatever game they were playing a couple nights ago. Villanova did that.
0: Yeah, they did too. I forget what it was. I don't know, Ryder or something like that. Uh <laughs> Who'd you Yeah, who'd you put in? Would you put in Gonzaga?
1: I mean, what if Gonzaga I mean, really, joins the Big
0: 12? I, then you have well, that problem. You could, I mean, if UCLA is gets really really good. Oh, uh, that's a good you one. Could yeah. throw
1: UCLA in there?
0: Yeah, that's probably a smart one to go to cuz you have the all-time titles in the Pac-12 and or, stuff. Like, uh, you know but then they're going to be in the big 10 soon indiana oh wait no but michigan state would be out in this hypothetical so that actually could work out uh, indiana yeah if indiana, if indiana gets indiana back good again is good yeah yeah i wouldn't have a problem with that it is kind of funny because you think of duke kentucky and kansas as like legit blue bloods and michigan state is probably like that next tier you know below the blue bloods whatever that would be but North, that is North like North
1: is a legit blue blood
0: yes group. they are they're but it's not you a can't good. put them yeah, in no, you can't yeah, have yeah. two acc teams yeah um I mean, those are all, but to
1: me, those are the only four legit blue bloods.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I know a lot of people would argue UCLA. Some people would argue Indiana. Well, um, they've been terrible. That, yeah, I, I'm with you there, but I understand the argument of, hey, they have the most titles, so why should they not be in there? I, I get it, but, you know,
1: <laughs> I, I don't want to go into that right now. Um, I mean, I don't even want to put Kentucky in there. <laughs> those, guys, those clowns missed the tournament completely.
0: Yeah. By the way, Kyle Filipowski... He's going to be the most hated player in college basketball.
1: Oh, yeah. Right? Everyone was like, oh, Grady Dick. Mm-hmm. Grady Dick's going to be the most hated player. Duke said, hang on a second. We got this guy over here. <laughs> this dude's way worse than Grady. Well and he that's, is. He's yeah. terrible. That's the thing. With like Grady Dick,
0: like, it's another he's thing. He's such a nice guy. If you're a white big man who's like getting into it down low, like he's yelling at other players. He's yelling at the ref. He's like giving yep. these antagonistic faces. You're asking for it. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Oh, yeah. So he is 100% going to be
1: the again, most... I think part of it is you, you play for Duke. It's like, yeah. just
0: going to be who you are. Well, that's super interesting to me of like, what is the stigma of that going to be with John Shire now as the head coach? Because it, it's harder to, to hate John Shire than it is with Coach Shashevsky. Maybe we'll get there, but it's hard to in this first year okay, with but John Shire. You don't,
1: you don't think that the years upon years of Coach K at Duke has translated to just <laughs> Duke hatred instead of just specifically Coach K for a lot of people. I think
0: you're right because still like from a fan base perspective, still from like a, it's ingrained in their yes. school. It's ingrained in the Duke basketball program, right? So I do think you're right. Um but yeah he he took a, a high jump into first place for uh oh yeah most hated player in college oh, basketball. Oh yeah. He's really good though. Yeah. yeah. And and honestly like I when I figured okay he's this six foot eleven like kind of lurking big man who's very skilled I figured that Ku was going to be able to kind of run at him but there were even times where he got switched onto a guard or one of Ku's wings and he kind of stayed in front of him so yeah uh, I was really impressed with with him even though he was very much a villain in that game <laughs> okay some uh, rapid release stuff just around college basketball we mentioned the aircraft carrier game. Why are we still doing this? <laughs> I know it hasn't happened for a few years, but why? Well,
1: okay. What what's what's with the obsession with other sports wanting to play their sport in other <laughs> sports venues? <laughs>
0: like they have saying? the outdoor hockey game. They have, they
1: have the outdoor hockey game. They have the pinstripe bowl that's played at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. They have what else do they have? They have the aircraft carrier game. They have the we, we were talking about this off air. I and mean, The Raiders ba- used to play on a baseball they, they, stadium. <laughs> they play the final four. They play the final four and in football, a football teams, stadiums. Yeah. So there's just this re- there's just this obsession with playing your sport in not your sports <laughs> thing you're supposed to play it in. What's the deal? What's the deal with that? And then we have then we have the pickleball tennis situation.
0: Oh yeah, there's more. This is problematic. I actually think we should steer further into this. Um, I think we should do a basketball game like on a tennis court. I think we should do like a football game in a bowling alley. You know, just you know, get as weird as that you wouldn't want. Even, <laughs> that wouldn't even work. Why not like a cruise ship for you know something?
1: know, oh, there's an idea. What do you think the most difficult sport to play on an aircraft carrier would be? <laughs> okay, so it, so um, in basketball, I'm we we have it's the stable aircraft carriers. In, this one was like it's in, docked. In basketball, you have the shooting aspect. Yeah. In football, you have. Trying to pass and catch, I would think, and would be kick. more difficult. But still, football is an outdoor
0: sport, and like, like Northwestern basically plays like right by that little river, or whatever it is. So, yeah, but they're on land. I think it affects basketball more than it does football. Okay, Plus, what football.
1: About, what about baseball? Wouldn't it affect baseball quite a bit? Um, would it? That's yeah, like you're, trying <laughs> you're trying to hit you the ball. You're trying to. You realize
0: baseball is played outside and it, like rains sometimes, right? No, but I'm no, but I'm saying like, the 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 it's a ship. The ship moves. Well, not in this case. They have it docked. It it's still like moves a little anymore. bit. Well, yeah, in the water, guess, Up and down. Um, I guess. I I think it would just. Ha- I would have to be something that is normally played indoors, because of like, um. I don't know. I think it probably is basketball. Basketball. I mean, stuff. think about it. like the court gets condensation on it too. You're slipping around. It's just the, the dense yeah. air.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So I'm get rid of those. Posing a question. Well, this is interesting. Colorado upset Tennessee. Please remind me next year not to overreact to the secret scrimmages anymore. Oh. Because TCU supposedly, and we'll get to TCU <laughs> in a second here, beat Arkansas by thirty points in a secret scrimmage. <laughs> and Arkansas had a, a players only meeting afterwards, supposedly. <laughs> Tennessee, I forget who they even killed at this point. It was like Gonzaga or somebody in their secret scrimmage. And then they lost to Colorado, who's like not even, like, this isn't even one of those years where it's like, oh, Colorado could be a Pac 12, like, dark horse and they're going to get, like, a five seed in the NCAA. No, the like Colorado is not supposed to be that good this year. So uh, just ignore all secret scrimmage news, ignore it at all costs. You know why? Because the coaches are not doing what they're actually doing in games. They're not running all their sets. They don't have everything installed. They're not doing their normal rotations of who they trust if it was really a game between two really good schools. They're trying different things out. And also, it's it's the start of the season when weird things happen. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm mad that I bought into Tennessee being this elite team. They might still I, be I should, really good. but like, I should
1: put up a sign, and I'm going to tap the sign.
0: November games don't matter. Mm-hmm. Can we talk they about you
1: see, is sucks. terrible. They're horrible. Okay. Who's a, worse, them or, them or Louisville?
0: Obviously, Louisville is worse, I think but Louisville, like, compared to what they were supposed to be.
1: Yeah. Louisville's probably still worse. Yeah. Louisville, okay, but serious bad. question, though. What if the Big 12 turns out to just be kind of bad? No, it won't be bad. Or, like, I, really, really top-heavy. Like, that what if, actually like, what if, could like, what happen. If, like, what if Texas Tech ends up being not that good? Yeah, Texas Tech is up up not that good. good. Oklahoma State ends and then up Oklahoma not that good. Not, so then it's like you have yeah. Kansas, Baylor, and Texas.
0: I think that is a possibility. And then everybody else is bad. Right? I think it will level out, and, and eventually, like, we will get back to a point where we're like, okay, it is a really deep conference. But I do think that's a real possibility. It could just be Texas, Baylor, and, and Kansas. Kansas just like and run away. Everybody it, right? else is bad. And everybody else is a bubble team. Yeah, I don't think that's good. I mean, this is TCU's schedule, these are the teams they played ranking wise <laughs> in Ken Palm. 356, 357, 342, and yet they are two and one, with a one point win, an eleven point win, and a one point loss. They are not good. Yeah,
1: I don't know what happened there. Yeah, that, that's bad. But right. Seriously, like if TCU ends up being bad, Texas Tech is bad. We already assume that like Oklahoma, Iowa State, Kansas State are probably going to be pretty bad. And then who does that leave? Who does that leave you with? Oklahoma State, if they're kind of bad, Iowa State maybe steps up. Better than we and all, think. Then, again, then all know. of a sudden, it's Kansas,
0: Texas, and Baylor, and that's it. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Jamie Burmel, KU golf coach, coach, joins us next. Joined now by Jamie Burmel, the KU men's golf coach here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And to kind of catch us up on the season, I know just recently you finished fourth at the Conapoli uh, Classic out in Hawaii. Uh, What have you liked about your team's performance to this point and and that recent event, and and who are some of the athletes that have kind of stepped up for you guys in the first part of this season?
2: Absolutely. You know, a lot of new faces this year, uh, with uh, graduating so many seniors last year, but um, some guys have been around the program a little bit, haven't quite gotten all the playing time that uh, they had hoped for, but uh, William Duquette uh fourth-year guy out of Canada has really played well for us, been very consistent, uh, played on the national championship uh, tournament team that uh, when we played in Phoenix, he was down there. Uh, Davis Cooper, a uh, kid from uh, Kansas City, um, third-year guy. He's played very well, very consistent. Um, then we have some new guys, uh, Cecil Belial is a junior college kid out of Minnesota, He's been in the lineup all year. And then uh, Gunnar Broin, uh, another transfer. Uh, we recruited him out of high school, went to Colorado State, and then transferred. So those four are kind of been the mainstay. Will King's uh, freshman out of Kansas City's played uh, quite a few events. Sion Audrain, fourth-year guy. from uh, Garden City's been in the lineup as well. So, um three or four guys have been there every tournament and then we've kind of mixed in the fifth guy, um, a little bit. So, um, you know, we, like I said, we got some new faces, but, uh, guys, uh, kind of hung in there and had a pretty good fall.
0: Uh, I can't imagine getting to go to Hawaii recently to play golf. That's, that's probably not a bad gig either. Right.
2: Right. You know, it's, uh, kind of that time of the year where the, Weather starts to get a little cool in Lawrence, Kansas, but uh, it's a great trip. Great way to end the fall season. Um, you know, we usually play well over there. We get a little wind going and uh, guys, you know, obviously practice and play in the wind. So uh, we knocked off some pretty good teams with Georgia and Old Miss. Uh, teams that have, you know, SEC schools and pretty good year in and year out. So um, good way to end the fall uh long trip but uh a uh, huge trip and guys were excited to go for sure what is on the docket
0: next for the team what do you have upcoming here
2: you know so we're off um from competition until uh we'll start in february so you know we've got guys get guys back in the classroom uh you know, finish finals, get four or five weeks off for the holiday break, and then we'll get back kind of middle of January, start practicing, and then uh, go out to uh, Palm Desert in the middle of February for our first event. So got some time off, kind of recharge the batteries, um, finish up school, holiday break, and then get back to it.
0: Well, you guys having a a kind of all-new lineup, I would imagine that, you know, this has almost served as as growing pains for you guys to, to really get ready for the spring. Uh, how much does the, the first semester differ from what you do in the second semester, whether it's experimenting with different players playing lineups or whatnot to kind of get you ready for when things really ramp up in the spring?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, the fall is, is, is just that. You know, get to see some different courses. We have a pretty good fall schedule, kind of stay. Midwest until it gets a little cool. Then we head south and obviously to Hawaii. But, uh, you know, the guys have been playing since February of last year. So uh, they come in uh, ready to play. Um, and there's some great, great golf and some great uh, tournaments in the fall. But the spring is, you know, when the Big 12 Conference title is, when the NCAA tournament is. So that's when you're, you know, we're building for. April, the end of April for big 12s and then post season and, and see what we can do there. So, um, you know, we'll probably settle on the lineup in April, but you know, there's been a lot of opportunity to get guys in, give them some playing time and see what they can do. And hopefully between now and uh, February, you know, we can get a little better, uh, get a couple months in the weight room, maybe get a little stronger. So, um, we're building for april and may that's for certain how do you
0: all go about training for that spring period during the winter when obviously it is cold and you know golf courses aren't open or whatnot is it is it indoor work is it just taking time off How, how do you go about that
2: yeah sure so you know obviously at the jayhawk club we have a great indoor outdoor practice facility so we can see ball flight it's not hitting off green grass but the turf is good and we have a simulator in there and indoor putting green, so we can get a lot of work done. Uh, and then that first weekend in February we head to Phoenix for four days to an alumni match and do some qualifying down there. So, you know, it's not like we're just coming out of dead of winter going to Palm Desert. To, uh, you know, we'll get some reps in, we'll get four or five rounds in, in Phoenix, uh, ten days before the event, and then we'll get out to Palm Desert a couple of days before and do some short game work and, uh, you know, hopefully by the time the gun goes off on that Monday, we're we're ready to go. And we're, we're probably not as good in February as we are in May, but uh, we're still very competitive. So, um, you know, you kind of get getting coming out of the break and everybody's excited to play again and practice more cards. So uh, the spring is uh, a little different than the fall because of the weather, but very, very manageable for sure
0: you guys just inked four players for your 2023 recruiting class as well. Uh, what can you tell us about the signees that you're bringing in for, for next year's squad?
2: You know, all four have a chance to play right away. Uh, got a Kansas kid, Noah Holtzman, uh, got a couple of international players, um, and Max Jelinek and, and, uh, Benny Long who go to school in in Florida, but are one's uh, Max is from Czech Republic and, uh, Ben he's from Canada, and then uh, we have Braden Sladek from uh, Minnesota, and we've we've done well with Minnesota guys, and uh, he's no different. Um, big, strong kid, hits it pretty hard. So um, all four of them, I think, have a chance to come in right away and compete. You know, we're going to have a lot of returners next year, so it's going to be probably a slower process because we'll have – four or five seniors next year. So uh, a lot of experience uh, coming back. But again, you know, who knows? Those kids, uh, they can compete. So they, you know, one or two may get in the lineup. Uh, But I think they'll be ready to go.
0: Talking with Jamie Bermel, the head coach for the KU men's golf team. Uh, How kind of does that recruiting process work from from a golf standpoint? Because I'd, I'd imagine... You know, with football, people are sending in tape or whatnot, or uh, you go to a game. I I don't know how that works in golf. Is it is it almost based on connections and seeing scores that guys put up, or or what all goes into the kind of the evaluation process?
2: Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, scores, you know, people reaching out, pros reaching out, but you know, like I tell everybody, my assistant Chris Wilson and I we. We spend a lot of time in the summer walking in circles around golf courses, and uh, you know you're out there recruiting. You you want to see a kid when he plays well. You want to see him when he doesn't play well. Uh, You want to see how big he is, how far he hits it. So you know, scores part of it, but we like to go out and see the guys and see how they compete on different golf courses, different grasses, different competitions. So it's a pretty in-depth process. Um, You know, Max is a perfect example. I was down. Watching another kid in um, in Charleston and stumbled upon him and and uh, you know got involved there a little later than most schools, but uh, was able to get him signed for this uh, this fall period. So you just never know when you're going to tournaments who you're going to see, but uh, you know, sometimes recruiting and timing are everything.
0: Well, I uh, know you're a big football fan, and and I'd imagine that. This season so far in the fall with the football team has been a lot of fun. How how
2: exciting has this been for you? Yeah, this is, you know, I, this is my 11th year, and this has been incredible. Um, I like what the guys are doing over there. And my wife and I were actually planning to spend a week in Hawaii after uh, the uh, fall season ended, and I started reading. You know, I read a lot on the Internet, and I noticed that uh, – Oklahoma state quarterback's probably going to be out for the game. So I told her we're coming home early. So we flew home on Thursday. So we go to the game and, um, you know, what a great experience, uh, for the university, for the town, for those guys that fought so hard on that football team to finally get bowl eligible. And, uh, you know, it's a big weekend, uh, this weekend too, with Texas in town. um, got some recruits in, so it's it's gonna be a gonna be a big weekend not only for the men's golf team but also for the football team this university. Do you have a, a
0: favorite all time KU football player?
2: Boy, that's a good question. You know, um Kwame Lassiter was a kind of a favorite of mine. Always liked the way he ran his routes and Uh, who's that big linebacker out of Wichita five or six years ago, maybe even longer, he could play. He played for the Oakland Raiders. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Ben Heaney, Ben Heaney. Yeah, Ben Heaney. Loved watching him play. Um, You know, Jalen Daniel seems to be quite a quarterback, so there's a lot of them that come to mind. Um, I guess most importantly, to everybody this year because the team's finally winning so just excited for for the program for sure.
0: Well last thing I got for you do you have a a read or knowledge about who is the best golfer among the other KU coaches and who is the worst golfer among the other KU coaches?
2: Well best uh, probably would be self proclaimed uh, Greg Gurley I don't know well he's not a coach but uh the coach, you know, I don't, Bill Self thinks he's pretty good, but uh, I don't know about that. I, I would have to go with Chris Wilson, my assistant. Certainly not me. And the worst would have to be um, probably well, Curtis Townsend and Norm Roberts are, are uh, they may have a tie, but uh, those guys play all the time and enjoy the game and. uh i played with them before. They're fun to play with. But uh, uh, that's a lot of times some easy money out there, too. So you (laughs) never know who you're going to get with.
0: Awesome. Uh, Jamie, appreciate the time. And uh, good luck on the spring season to come in a few months here.
2: All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. Take care.
0: That was Jamie Bermel, the head coach for the KU men's golf team. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.